Are you ready for wow. 30 of today's most powerful superstars in one all-new Power Pack collection? On two CDs or cassettes. To order, call the number on your screen or send check or money order for the amount shown plus shipping and handling. Must be 18 or older to call. <laughs> Christians, probably mostly non-Christians, to this 2022 episode of Making Making My Friend Friend Listen to Christian Rock, the podcast where I show my friend the Christian rock that I enjoyed in the 90s. It's the only podcast where you'll find two white guys just riffing together on music. Together, we ask, is Christian rock from the 90s any good? And have we listened to enough Christian rock on this podcast? Well, the answer is No. no, we haven't. There are still so many third days, audio adrenalines, and Stephen Curtis Chapman's to show my friend. And that friend is, of course, my co-host, John. Hi, Kelly. <laughs> How are you doing? Happy 2022. Yeah, I was going to ask, are you excited to be back listening to Christian Rock? Did you find yourself missing it at all over the holidays? No, no. I mean, unless you're talking about, obviously, you know, you're going to have holiday music in there, some Christmas music. Oh, I said the H word, holiday Christmas music. Yeah. <laughs> I listen I listen to some Christmas music. Uh, that just goes to prove everybody the war on Christmas <laughs> is alive and well. Is alive and well. With this podcast. Yeah, yeah I listen to some Burning Lives Christmas music. <laughs> yeah, so I, that, but that was as close as I came to Christian music over my break. Yeah. And I've been thinking about like, you know, what a lot, what to do with this show this year specifically now that we're, you know, you start reflecting about what we've done in the past year and what we've done with this first uh, almost year of a podcast, not quite, Uh but the year 2022, um, where can we go with it? You know, what kind of things that I'm excited to talk with you about, which I have lots on the, lots on the back burner, but, um, I kind of came to a bit of an, like a kind of an epiphany or something while I was, actually listening to another podcast about Christian music, just kind of checking out what they were talking about um, and seeing like what their angle was and, you know, if we had any overlap or what, what not, but it, it's kind of, this covers the same ground, but sort of a different, I don't know, a different tone, I guess. And towards the end of the episode that I was listening to one of the hosts, he made sort of like, I guess like a flippant kind of comment about um, not enjoying the show, the righteous gemstones. And basically because he thought that he was explaining that kind of thing wasn't relevant for our current time. You know, the show really explores this wealthy family and their televangelism and their big empire that they've Mm -hmm. built and sort of, um, it's not exclusively about that. It's sort of, they use that as a foundation for the characters in the show, but they do get into a lot of that world. And, um, the host was sort of saying it didn't connect with him because, um, the whole televangelist thing and the hypocrisy angle is too obvious and it's not really that interesting to explore. And as I was listening to that, um, first of all, setting aside the fact that the show is incredible, which uh, with, you know, incredible cast, incredible performances yeah, and just absolutely nailing that feeling of going to a mega church, which is just, an, you know, like an absurd level that you really can't 
sort of it's hard to capture unless you actually go they do an incredible job of just capturing the whole absurdity of it i really just it just kind of kind of got me fired up in general just the whole idea that the idea that you know crooked televangelists like are teaching this kind of um, prosperity gospel and this unattainable prosperity gospel um and that that's just something that like happened in the 80s and now it's just a boring cliche or something I just find that so dangerous and the righteous gemstone, I feel like they get that, that crooked televangelists never really went away. Um, they're sort of part of the American DNA and, you know, mm. we basically elected one in 2016. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they will never go away because there's money to be made and you know, that's religion is powerful. Like religion or organized religion that is, is massive in the U S especially in comparison to like other countries, you know, like it is massive here. And this connection between like the American way of the American dream and religion and the intersection of those two things um, is, uh, is very fascinating as well. And is deeply tied to our, our whole way of life here. Right. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I I think it gets me fired up too, um, in part. And I know we texted about this as well is that I, I think I've had this realization, you know, when we started this podcast, I originally, um, you know, it's fun just dunking on bad music and all that. And I kind of realized over time, the more and more and more we listened to it, the more I had to like research, the more I had to like actually look at it, you know, it being, you know, this Christian music and CCM and the mega churches and, you know, the, everything behind it, um, you know, evangelicalism and Christianity, all that is I've kind of realized like that I have a little bit like, you know, a little bit of resentment, like still kind of within me from my experiences at these mega churches, as we, as you were saying, like that, um, the righteous gemstones kind of like, I think does a fantastic job lampooning. And I've realized, although that was only a couple years of my life, like, um, yeah, I still have like, I still have some feelings there, uh, and, and just the hypocrisy, Um, and it doesn't take very much to get me fired up about it, whether it's a news article or whether it's a lyric in one of these songs, which we'll definitely get into. Um, but yeah, uh, religious hypocrisy alive and well today. Um, and I mean, that's everywhere around you. Um, that's, and so you said that, um, you know, just, well, through looking at this pod or through looking at the music we talk about on this podcast, you've sort of started to kind of get riled up about certain issues, but did it, did it sort of, I don't know, did it unlock any kind of different memories that maybe you hadn't thought about in a while or, you know, yeah, experiences you had at the church? Yeah. And I feel like most of that is kind of, I'm, is coming out and it's um like, for example, and I, I, Kelly, I know I've joked around with you about this, but like listening to, um, mission 316, <laughs> um, but Carmen, uh, re- reminded me of, so I was a teenager during this period of my life. So I was at this interesting place in my life where I was kind of, you know, figuring out who you are and you're like angsty and, or, or you know, angsty and, um, you know, and I, I think I saw it through different eyes then, um, without the maturity that I can maybe, uh, that I have now, certainly I hope at least. And, uh, that song immediately, that Carmen song, you know, gets you thinking of like Austin Powers for me, especially. <laughs> yeah, it's got like a, a spy like, riff. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a spy riff and it came out in the same period of time, man. Like you can't tell yeah. me like uh, where my mind goes is that like Carmen was sitting 
on his couch watching or knowing a movie theater, I guess it'd be at the time watching Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, thinking like, how can I make a buck off this shit? I'm going to write Mission 316 just the same way that, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Just the same way that Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote King of the Jungle or whatever after he saw Lion King. Like, <laughs> that's just pervasive in this music is just like pouncing on any opportunity to make a fucking dollar. And that's, so that all reminded me and brought me back to Willow Creek Community Church being in the gift store in the mall right next to the fucking food court. And they had an Austin Powers shirt, like theme shirt, basically, that said, God is groovy, baby. <laughs> And it was like a bright purple shirt. It was a bright purple shirt and it was like 20, like 15, $20. And I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. Everybody, hey, baby. That whole movie's about him wanting to fuck. <laughs> wanting to fuck. <laughs> Do I make you, does God make you horny, baby? Like, and I just remember thinking like, this is ridiculous. Like what level were you stooped to, to make fucking money that the thing that you're like lampooning is like is like antithetical to like the core values supposedly of this fucking place. You got this movie about this guy that fucking going around shagging all these people fucking, but you know, you won't you know what I mean and like you're selling these fucking t-shirts for like 15-20 in a gift store that's in the mall next to a food court. Disgusting. It's interesting. And that goes back a little bit to what we've talked about too. You know, kids are, even if you couldn't put your, you couldn't put your finger like so much on it, um, that we, that you can now about why that's so just, um, disingenuous and gross is that, uh, you feel like you just feel like weird about it and it, it turns you off. And, uh, you know, even at that age, you still, you still remember that and that, that affecting you is interesting. Yeah, I mean, what a funny thing to have being one of my very like crystal clear uh, images and memories of, you know, and and reinforces my views on religion because I think that encapsulated everything that told me you are in the wrong place right now. Like none of this is actually real. And I think there are, you know, if you find meaning or value in something, you know, and I hope this comes across okay, like that's great. Whatever your beliefs is like system might be. And so long as it's not hateful, you're not hurting people. You know, if you find value in a paperclip holder on your desk at work, if that makes you be a better person and you strive to be something more and you find um, value in that, then great. But I think the problem that I, I felt like I had was just seeing like just hypocrisy everywhere. And there were so many amazing, kind and wonderful people at this church that we met. But for every one of them, there was just this person that was much, would be much like that Austin Powers shirt. Just the picture <laughs> of cognitive dissonance, you know, like, um, just a, like a, an awful person. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you didn't know me back then, John. I'm not sure if we would have been friends if you <laughs> saw my, uh, Jim Carrey in the mask t-shirt saying, God is smoking, baby. <laughs> Let's rock this joint. Have you looked at to see if that t-shirt is on eBay somewhere or? I did actually. Um, did? As I was, I did. No, I, um, I haven't found it, but I found a bunch of other stuff. And maybe that's a segment we'll do on the show in the future. And, you know. Looking up I stuff say, you used to have. <laughs> no, looking up stuff you used to have. No, a segment of the show should be uh, like commercializing um, religion and God um, in like the most ridiculous examples we can find. And maybe yeah. we could spotlight and feature an item <laughs> and uh, maybe drop a link to it so people could go, you know, 
check it out themselves and maybe buy it. Yeah. I want to, you know, I want to say, cause I feel like I unloaded a little bit, but it's that, that is how I feel in it, but it's not a statement, you know, not every, so many wonderful people I met went to Willow Creek Community Church. That's all I have to say, but there are a lot of <laughs> that did as well. Um, well, I think that that's what, I think that that's what fires you and I up about it is that, you know, you've met, I know that I met a lot of really good people and my family met a lot of really good people at the church who were just nice, good, willing, giving people. And they weren't even the most egregious people, like characters at the church. There was definitely like a class divide at the church that I went to. It was a mega church. So there were a lot of wealthy people around, around the city that would go there, you know, well-to-dos. And then there was also like my family and other families that were sort of like going there, um, but really not in that class level. So you, growing up, I really resented it because I really felt like there was this class divide of like friends in my, you know, friends that, and adults even that wouldn't even, they were, they were always like superficially nice, but they never were friends with my family or my family's friends, like good people that, and you just see this sort of thing enforced and it's just another way. So it's like, you know, that those people are good and they're just trying to, they're looking for something and they're trying to look for a sense of community. And yeah, I don't know. It it wasn't there. Yeah, no, I get that. And I feel like I, you know, I think especially just at that period of my life, like our family had been going through some tough times and, you know, got assistance through the food pantry at Willow Creek Community Church. And a lot, again, a lot to be really grateful for, for how we were supported and taken care of by certain elements of the church. Um, but there's a lot, also a lot of stuff that happened that like kind of changed the way that I view religion. Like my mom got kicked out of a Bible study group that she was in because my mom is disabled at that, at that time just immobilized, like, you know, like a lot of pre-exist, like a lot of health conditions. And yeah, <clears throat> the point is she wasn't able to make it to like other people's, uh, places in her Bible study group because um, they would change homes that they went to every week, right? Mm-hmm. So they got tired of just coming to our house all the time. So they kicked my mom out of the group because it was, and they did so by writing a letter. They didn't talk to her about it. They sent a letter in the mail. And that's how my mom found out that it was too much of an inconvenience to come to our house to share in the joy and love of God. <laughs> And that was just another one of those things like the Austin Powers t-shirt. And that's why I have very strong opinions on it. Again, I, I, I totally understand that like not everybody is like that, but <laughs> right. these that's, are my experiences. That's horrible. That's horrible. Your mom's just outside ringing the doorbell and then it looks like are the lights off. And then she sees like a little curtain, just like somebody peeking out and then <laughs> shutting it. There's real others fast. too. There's others too. And I, there's others Pretending too. Kind of, and like, I, I mean, I mean. I doubt that this person listens to this podcast, but if they are, I would like to give them a very big fuck you because there was a guy. Oh, they listen. Believe, they listen. <laughs> there was a guy that would come over again. My parents were um, not able to work like we, um, you know, so the, the church was great and like helping out. And, you know, we got food from the food pantry, like I said, and that was great and amazing. Um, but there was this this guy that um, out of the kindness of his heart, which was great, would come and like help mow our, mow our lawn. He owned a landscaping business, so he would come mow the lawn. 
um, which was a big help, you know, because my parents were had all these health issues, weren't able to do it. And realistically, I, I would have had to have done it. Um, so I was grateful for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but right. he came into our house to like use the washroom. And I've told you this story, Kelly, before, and I apologize if I've told it before on the podcast, but while going into our house to use the washroom, like he noticed that we had like three Nintendos. So we, the way that we found out that he was no longer going to mow our lawn again, not a conversation is like, we were told uh, through someone else that he saw that we had three Nintendos and didn't thought we, you know, we were like well off and fine enough um, when really they were not three Nintendos, three different generations of Nintendos. It was an original <laughs> Nintendo, a super Nintendo and like maybe there's like a Sega Genesis in there as well. So two out of three, this guy just like judged us and, you know, grateful that he cut our lawn. But some of that stuff, I just really like kind of, I, again, felt like counter to the, um, the tenets of the religion, right? Jesus. Yeah, so really, just kind of putting a putting a bow on on that that point. I, I think for this year, uh, I really want to sort of try to find ways, and I think we've done that a little bit, but maybe a little bit more, where um, this we still see some of these kind of hypocrisies in the church, and maybe any of these albums, and a lot of the pe- albums that we review, surprisingly, the artists are still going, and there's you know people like Michael yeah. W. Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman, they're still involved in a lot of these organizations, and. The idea that, uh, you know, I think maybe we didn't want to do this in the first place was just like sort of like rag on easy Christian rock albums from the 90s. I mean, that's fun, too. But right. it, I think that it's more interesting to sort of think about that in relative to like um, what's come after that. I think things like the the Jerry Falwell Jr. scandal at Liberty University, um, you know, somebody like Joel Osteen. Uh, Austin, Osteen, um, Sean Foyt and the Bethel Church of California, um, Hillsong Church, all of these different modern churches and and um, church figures that have been involved in like crazy big scandals, fraud, sexual assaults, just uh, money embezzlement, um, you know, anti-vax yeah. stuff with the Bethel Church. I mean, that's all bleeding through and it's just a different permeation of like what the televangelists of the 80s started. And um, that's just because it doesn't always appear exactly as the 80s televangelist um, form doesn't mean that it's not still alive and well. And yeah, I think that some, like there's a, there's a podcast called the QAnon anonymous podcast that explores a lot of these different, um, you know, quote fringe uh, churches that have started to gain steam, especially under the the pandemic. That's really interesting. And they kind of basically show that this stuff isn't really gone away, even if the, the, you know, you're not going to find it on your nightly news like you would something like Tammy Faye Baker or Jim Baker. Right, right. Yeah. Well, you know, one that's good to know um, that you would like that in the new year with the podcast. What I would like in the new year is to listen to one good album. Speaking of albums, we are discussing the 1998 Christian music compilation, 
1998. And before the Spotify playlist, before the iPod playlist, before the burned mix CD, um, and yes, before the mixtape, record labels uh, kind of use these compilation albums. Um, they can't cash in on a cheap and easy way to promote their artists by compiling 30 hits or hopeful hits onto one glorious sampler album in the Christian world. WoW 1998 was the third compilation in the WoW series following 1997 and 1996, of course. Um, but the title is kind of confusing because it actually was released at the beginning of 97. And they've so hmm. it was released for 98, I suppose. So it's kind of a, a little bit behind anyways. Oh, so he wrote it before Austin Powers. Just a little bit. Yeah. But Mission Impossible came out since then. I think it was maybe ah, more Mission Impossible. Spies were huge go. in the mid 90s. So then he enjoyed the uh, unintentional benefit of <laughs> Austin Powers entering our cultural zeitgeist. Truly, <laughs> baby. Uh, yes, and so this uh, this compilation boasted thirty tracks on two CDs uh, at a pretty pretty low price, and featured the biggest names in Christian music at the time: Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, DC Talk, Jars of Clay, Carmen, Rebecca St. James, Bob Carlisle, Barb Carlisle, and you know so many other people. Thirty of them. So I know you've not heard this compilation album before, John, so I'm not even going to bother, but maybe, uh, do you have any memories or can you give us a little insight into any sort of experiences of compilation albums that you had or knew about as a kid? And I'm going to guess maybe you were familiar with something like a Warped Tour comp or a Punkarama comp, something like that. Oh yeah. I have like five Punkaramas. Uh, Short music for short people is probably one of the great uh comps in my opinion um yeah those two those are probably like the first ones that come to mind um i love a compilation like a good compilation because what what is a compilation like in in essence right at least to me is it is a chance to showcase new artists right and also the lesser heard material like the b-sides what have you maybe from like more established artists um yeah so but in you know, in taking that to like this context, though, um, with bands that don't really have what I would consider to be great songs to begin with, the idea of an album full of what might be their lesser known material is quite frankly horrifying. <laughs> but regardless of that, like, what do you think of when you think of compilations? Well, I I didn't have any compilations really per se. I, I didn't really have the punk kind of compilations. I just had friends that had gotten into that. When I think of them in the 90s, I mean, the 90s Lame. were full of it's like uh, soundtracks, <laughs> right? Like I just had so many yeah. soundtracks. I remember bumping yeah. the Crow soundtrack, the Cable Guy soundtrack, Escape yeah, from yeah. L.A. Yeah. Um, Batman, Batman Forever, Forever Austin Rats. Powers. <laughs> I mean, Austin seriously, Rats. everything had a pretty decent soundtrack. Most of us. You know, n- not everything, but there was a lot of good shit. And so those were basically like compilation albums. And during that time, I mean, it was, that you know, you, there were plenty of songs that you'd hear on the radio that you did not want to get, get the album. So if they were like um, put onto some sort of compilation or if they were put onto a soundtrack with any, like at least one other um, song that you might be like, mm, I don't really want that album either. You just buy that and you're good. Cause he got both of those singles. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. I didn't, so this, I think it was mostly like soundtracks, but I definitely had, um, this one obviously. And this was a huge compilation album in the Johnson household. I think for that reason, because 
it just gave a little bit of flavor for for everybody. I mean, they had, like I said, DC Talk and Newsboys and um, some of these other kid friendly. It was something the whole family could agree yeah, on. It really was. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and then, I mean, it, clearly you could know why adults would like it because a lot of this shit is just boring adult contemporary like uh, light rock. But um, yeah, yeah, no, it was something that it wasn't. There were a lot of stinkers on Christian albums, and at least you don't at say. least this one had <laughs> you know some of the stronger offerings from these artists. It's the best they could do, so you'd at least get like four <laughs> or five on the CD, which is a good ratio when you're looking at Christian rock. Yeah, four or five out of the thirty-three tracks on this album, <laughs> and you know that's like my first impression of this. And I texted you joking around about this. Is like how it's funny to me that this like. This album, when we talk about like uh, what would be comparable to this would be like the Now series. Now that's what I call music volume, you know, whatever, right? And, you know, the Now CDs are like, uh, again, capturing a moment in time of pop music, right? And, you know, but still at the same time, like those songs looking back, like people might not consider like great songs like Hanson, Umbop, or... um you know, whatever else, like Zoot Suit Riot, Cherry Poppin' Daddies. But what I found like listening to this is like, even like the, like the bad songs on the like now CDs are like just infinitely better than the best of the best, the best songs on the WoW compilation. And that is funny to me. And that it feels to me like this compilation listening to it is like, I texted you this too, like watching the Pro Bowl, right? Like, like you have this expectation of watching like the finest football players come out onto the field, the best of the best, the creme de la creme, like, uh, you know, uh, all, all the best players from all the different teams mixed into a super team and they're going to deliver the best football game of all time. And then what happens is like none of those players play, they can't make <laughs> yeah. it. And you're left with like the second stringers and it's a very boring, uneventful, like painful to watch. Like that's what this album was to me. It was just painful. Yeah. This is your best shot. This is your best shot. This is your sales pitch for the genre. Well, I have a theory about that, about, but, um, and especially like feeding into like what you're, what you're, uh, describing about listening to some of these now 1998s, um, tracks where you, you know, they're infinitely better. I don't think that some of them are. I think that some of them are objectively. No. Mm -mm, But mm -mm, I think mm -mm, that it mm -mm, is mm -mm. because you, listen to them at a very formative time of your life as did I and I listened to these songs at a very formative time of my life and it remind they remind me instantly of you know being in the car going on family trips places so I those are always going to be attached to it even, okay wait even if I can objectively say like you know I don't know that this is a great song I still can I still have a little soft spot for it listen Kelly I don't like Zoot Suit Riot by Cherry Pop and Daddies. <laughs> I don't like Umbop by Hanson, but I could appreciate like how well written they are and like the earworms there and like that, like how poppy those th- songs are. But that's curious to me because you check off both those boxes. Like you know all the songs on the Now Comp, you heard them, so you have that attachment to them from your youth, but also you do from the Wow Comp. So you're telling me as somebody that checks both those boxes that you think there are some tracks on the wow comp that are better than and Zoot Suit Riot. That's what I call music. Yeah. yeah. 
I don't believe it. What like what song? What song on this comp is better than Umba? Well, I think that's a song. Let's see. I got to now. I, now I got to pick. So you don't even know the name of it. You don't even know the oh, name I know. of it. Instantly, not I know. Good. No, I know. I want to pick. The, I want to pick one that's objective. I oh, oh you want to pick one that's really good. <laughs> Overjoyed uh, by Jars of Clay. I would say that that's a better song than Mbop. You have got to be kidding me. That song, like, okay. That song sucks, like because I, it starts off with promise. It starts off like good. I feel like I feel like the build, uh, the verse, the chorus is just so bad. Though, like the chorus is like uh, uh, not so bad. It's not. It's it's just a, it's it's all right, right? It just feels like they're building to something, and then the chorus comes in, and it's just you know, it just it's anticlimactic to me the solo is good though i like the solo i like it i like i like the i like the chorus melody i like the production i think it's i think but it's no umba it i guess it's unfair to compare that here's what i would compare overjoyed to i would compare it to something like tonic you know if you if she could only see or whatever that's not the way that's not the way this comparison works kelly <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait 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 no 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 no. i'm thinking about that you think it's better than the tonic song i hate that tonic song no way yeah no i but that's you. You hate that. We pull. We go outside. We talk to a hundred people. I would say ninety nine of those people uh, would agree that Tonic is a better song than the other person. You would say ninety nine percent of people. All right, I take that bet. I would take the overjoyed uh, overjoyed uh, bet for that. I um, <laughs> I think. <laughs> what does it start like? If you, if you, the, you the could course, only, if you could she... only see the way she loves oh. me. Maybe you would understand. No, I I, uh, I don't like it. Never have. But I think it's the same kind of. Don't you think it's the same kind of, you know, lane that over something like Overjoyed is going for? Yeah, I think there there's a lot of these songs that are trying to drive down the same lane, and of course they are because that's that's the whole thing that the CCM genre has going for it is just mimicking. I mean, this they made this as a response to now, and they make so many artists on this make their music to fit in a little tight little window of uh copying other artists and mimicking other artists capitalizing on austin powers and the popularity of lion king and then just writing whatever song to you know make a buck i guess well now i'm very curious because overjoyed was one of the ones i was like well maybe we'll both agree that that one's decent were there any songs that you liked on this album would have to be my next question uh yeah, Carmen. Because uh, and I don't like that song, but um, I, that's probably the first time that I've heard an art, at least on this podcast, that I've heard an artist where I thought immediately after one song, oh, they have their own thing. Yeah, that's like that's them, you know. And for is we like it's I, I, it's weird, and I think that there's like a a, a very creative um, vision there that is just refreshing. Um, and it takes a lot of chances. I, I don't particularly like it, but I, I appreciate it. Um, that would probably be the favorite. Although I hate that song, though, still the that same. Is, I, I'm just so happy to hear you describe it that way because, a, well, a so I I do agree with you. I think that that one clearly sort of stands out as this weird sort of outlier. Like, doesn't really sound like anything else, and it's pretty fun. Like, even if you don't like it, it's got some. It's got a lot of energy to it, um, and it's pretty epic sounding. 
but the fact that you uh, just called Carmen refreshing on this album is just making me so excited to show you what who the fuck Carmen is. And, and I just want you to remember that you called Carmen refreshing on this episode as we go into Carmen so, later but, this year. Yeah, okay. Okay, but that that's funny though because I I thought that this was probably not his best song. Like what in thinking about the prospect of listening to more Carmen Car- music, I thought, man, I'm excited to see what else he's got. And I just know in doing the research for this episode that that apparently is, this seems to be like the number one hit. And then I, it was kind of deflating to me. I was like, oh, I guess I've already experienced the best Carmen. Oh, no, you haven't. <laughs> I mean, you'll never hear another artist like Carmen in your life. That's for sure. And he sticks out on this one for sure, because I think that it really does... This one, like, I, I, I wasn't sure what to think and I wasn't really sure. It can't even remember why, like, I picked this one to do other than we did listen to it a lot as, as kids and I was kind of curious to remember it. But other than that, I think it is interesting that in 1998, when this was released, um, it was like, you can clearly pick out the ones that were going for it, that they that were trying to get that crossover success that, like, Jars of Clay and DC Talk had had in mm-hmm. 1996. I mean, some yeah. of these songs are so, I swear to God. So something like what the song, uh, Disappear, I could disappear. I mean, if you hadn't told me at that time and I just like happened to turn on the radio, I would have thought it was like a, oh, is this Natalie Imbruglia's second single or something? You know? Yeah. I had that same thought about that. Natalie Imbruglia. Yeah, I mean, it, it's totally supposed to be like that. And the lyrics aren't anything real. I mean once you know they're about Jesus or God, you're like, okay, that makes sense. But if you didn't know, you wouldn't think twice too much about it. Um, yeah. So vague. I mean, that's the thing though. That's that going back to Carmen, Carmen is probably the only one on this whole album that I could actually ID like out in the wild, like out in the wild that I could actually identify. Like if I were at a restaurant or something and a Carmen song came on, even knowing that I've only heard this one single Carmen song, I would immediately know. And I think there's something to be said for that. I think you'd know colored people if you heard uh, something like that again. But but would I know DC Talk? I would would know colored people. It's not the song. It's like the artist, right? Because DC Talk, I mean, they could sound like 10 different bands and they did sound like 10 different bands, whichever way the, the, the winds were blowing uh, for what was popular at the time. And like, I mean, Toby, Mac, I showed you that, sending you that video for whatever that song was, is basically like, he's got the, like a Bruno Mars and, you know, just jumping from uh, wave to wave to wave. And so many of these artists, right? Include Michael W. Smith would maybe be the only I'd other say Michael one. Michael W. Smith, definitely. I, I've, and uh, including Carmen. I mean, Carmen absolutely did that in the 90s, all throughout the 90s. I mean, you hit it on the head, like Mission 316, right after Mission Impossible got popular was not an accident i mean the guy the guy was very calculated i mean he did rap albums i mean the guy you wouldn't know carmen carmen song i mean Um, that's great though because i i granted it's only one song but i feel like i believe him in a way that i don't the other people like you were saying that um disappear song like i don't believe any of the lyrics i don't believe what's behind it and i think that's why um, you know, the genre c- can sometimes ring hollow with people is that, uh, or not, you know, resonate with people is because sometimes it doesn't feel like there's this genuine, um, sentiment behind the music. It feels fake. I guess so. 
I, I don't know. I mean, I think that especially that we're, we're looking at some of these like these pop albums and talking about things like Natalie Ambrulia. I, I mean, the fact that I kind of would mistake it, I feel like the same sort of mistake it for her. I, I just get the same kind of vibes about and it ultimately for me, I guess I'm putting it in that level of like it's on in the car, it's in the background and like once in a while you tune in and you hear like a nice hook mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. good enough. And like, that's it. Yeah. And even at that point, like I was 14, 15 years old and I was not even in the church, but I, I was just happy that, you know, there was some music on that wasn't really, I mean, like on this, on this second CD, I mean, that's where you, where I was like, I'm glad we're not listening to the second CD because that's a lot of, the sh- oh, which is it's just awful. So like, you know, see hearing some of these bands, like starting to sound a little bit like the shit I was hearing on the radio was refreshing to me at the time. So that's why I have like a really nice, uh, I guess, memory to it. So I hear like something like Overjoyed and I was like, oh, I just can't. I was so thankful to hear something like that over fucking Bob Carlyle or some shit. Yeah, so starved for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That it sounded like the Beatles to me, like we've said, you know. Um, so, but it, it is interesting that we picked this one because I, I think that it's like right in the wake of all that. And so there was so much money being thrown into these bands. You could hear it. Like I listened to this album on headphones, just walking around a little bit. And it sounds great. I mean, these the songs like are really fucking... Uh, they hit hard um, production wise, yeah. you know, a song like uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, the Cademan's Call song, which is really pretty sparse and like shouldn't, shouldn't yeah. hit hard at all because it's just a, kind of a weak song. Um, it's produced well. It's produced so like the, the bass drum like is slamming and uh, you're just like, boy, this was really the time when money was flowing um, in that industry. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear that. My opinion is you need Jesus and you're going to church. Yeah, so beside Missions 316 and going back to like uh, the idea of somebody giving you this as a gift, um, one song that really resonated with me was People Get Ready by Crystal Lewis because like, let's say you did get this as a gift and you're hoping this turns somebody on to the message of, um, you know, of God and the gospel and all that. And, you know, you would listen to this album and it's very like, um, very, very like poppy and, you know, um, you know, sunshine and rainbows through the first two thirds of the disc. And then this track that comes about two thirds of the way through is like basically gives you the ultimatum that judgment day is coming. Better get ready. And I, I like, I heard this song and I was like dying of laughter. Like I cannot like the lyrics because this is to me, this is the burn the ships of wow 98 this is the stephen curtis chapman burned the ships of uh 1998 like these lyrics like there will be a day when we will be divided (laughs) right and left Uh for those who know him and those who do not know him those who know him well will meet him in the air hallelujah 
God is with us. Those who do not, they will hear, depart. I knew you not. And you're like, I knew you not. Wait, the people being separated. Um, yeah, I mean, that just kind of struck me as ridiculous. Yeah, and, and the tone isn't like, you know, Helen Brimfire, Brim, you know, it's no, Helen Brimstone no, no, no. or whatever. It's very, uh, it's celebratory. It's like, hey, everybody, yeah. come on. And these, so those are the kinds of songs that are interesting when you put that on here, like a, next to a song like Disappear, which sounds like a light rock secular song. And then you hear that one, which is so not, I mean, it's just so specifically for a church song and it's weird to put them back to back, but there's like so many different lanes that Christian artists could take. They could try to take the, you know, the lane where they wanted to potentially have some crossover success and, and enjoy with a, maybe a, a younger uh, youth demographic, or they could just start fucking writing worship songs that would be sang in church. Cause that's also a huge moneymaker. Um, I mean, I know that song, not because I remember listening to this all the time, but going to church, right. we sang it all the fucking time at worship. So in the church, it makes sense because everybody's gathered there for a certain reason. Yeah. We're all, you know, ostensibly there like in sharing the same experience right. and we all believe the same thing. So, well, you know, in that mm-hmm. kind of context, it, it makes sense. But then you slap it onto a CD like this and it just sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I feel like if, if there weren't so many goddamn rules, uh, you would probably get like more creative output uh, because like listening to that Cabman's Call song, Hope to Carry On, which I, you know, struck me as very Jesus-y at first listen. Um, but I listened to it a couple more times and that's a good song, you know, and I've started um, looking into this and yeah, I mean, I think part of the point that I was getting to with there being so many rules is like I found out about this guy, Derek Webb, who's in the band, right? And like how, because <laughs> uh, I read a YouTube comment uh, where somebody was like, basically like just eviscerating him uh, that he should burn in hell kind of a thing. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, what did this guy <laughs> nice. do? Um, and, you know, like I Googled his name and it's like, uh, the everything that came up on Google, like the and my search, beware of CCM artist Derek Webb. Uh, Derek Webb curses and promotes homosexuality. Um, Ex Cadman's call member in hot water again, and I'm like, what did this guy do um, that put him at odds with this community? And it actually really made me like really like him because like he took a stand creatively because he used the word shit in an album and here's what's messed up about this is he said that he like he had an artistic reason for using it and they asked him to remove it he's like no like that's how i this 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 is my song and that's how i wrote it and they're like the labels like you have to uh really like you know you have to remove it so it's 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 crazy to me that like the label still releases the album anyway because of course they want to make money um, and they came up with this compromise where he released the censored version, um, you know, like self-released it, but it made him like this pariah, like, because he used the word shit. And then he was under more scrutiny because of this lyric, uh, from a song called wedding dress, uh, where he says, cause I'm a whore. I do defess. I do confess. I put on you like a wedding or I put you on like a wedding dress. And that got his album pulled from shelves pulled from shelves, right? Um, 
And then again, one of his friends, Jennifer Knopp, came out as a lesbian and he was pressured to make statements about um, some of the lyrics in his song that are construed as being, um, you know, uh, like not like that promoting like homosexuality or, you know, and he refused to acknowledge it and apologize for it. And that made him even more of a like um, pariah. And, you know, <laughs> like the irony here to me is that I think there's this criticism of um, the CCM genre and uh, maybe on maybe on the CCM side labels like and people within the genre feel like, why don't more people listen to this music? And if they just listen to it, they might enjoy it and maybe they would listen to this wow comp and they would be turned on to these artists and the word of God. But I think part of what keeps so many people away, it's not like the music as much as it is like the irony, the the hypocrisy rather that, you know, you're casting this guy aside because he makes comments about how we should like respond lovingly to the AIDS crisis and people don't agree with that. And of course, like, you know, they've got to tear him down or whether it's dude from jars of clay is a similar story. Right. right? Is like, I feel like that turns people off because the hypocrisy, number one, um, the culture around it. And then number two, the music sucks because look at like what everything I just said, like, why would you write anything that would even remotely toe any sort of creative line or push a boundary? You wouldn't. Yeah, you, you definitely know that going into it. And and that's what a lot of people turn a lot of people off from it. And that's really interesting about him. I feel like, like you said, the Jars of Clay situation with his with the lead singer. I know that Kevin Max from DC Talk has gotten into a lot of hot water for some of the comments that he's made about just generally questioning Christianity and not backing down from it and saying like, you know, he disagrees with a lot of the way that, that the church conducts itself and um, seems to be like a progressive Christian. And you start forming these kinds of like, um, you know, I don't know, forming these sort of like parallel or these, these direct lines in your head where you're thinking, okay, these guys were in, in an industry where they had to had to in order to stay popular or in order to thrive in that industry they had to write a certain way and for a lot of their career they probably did that then they got popular enough where they could take chances and maybe like you know or got sick of it right maybe they just grew up and they just said they didn't want to do that anymore i i think that that's totally acceptable and i think it's it's admirable and i think you see what the real ugly side of it is is usually not these artists that are making it even if they're singing Mm -hmm. about it um doesn't necessarily mean that they totally believe it. I mean, we don't take everybody at face value that sings in, you know, pop, when you hear pop songs on the radio, um, you know, somebody that's singing about unconditional love. If you hear about (laughs) John Lennon singing about all you need is love, and then you find out he's an asshole, people still listen to all you need is love. I mean, it doesn't, it just like, why do we have to, I guess, because there's this sort of other side of it, like you said, that where there's the community of people that, can be so judgmental, you know, that it's automatically that's put onto um, people in Christian rock as well. So they have to hold up that standard and they have to kind of bear that stereotype. One of the other songs I really uh, super wanted to talk about was the uh, Lift Us Up Where We Belong cover. Um, On the second CD, BB and CC Winans do a cover of the, what is it, from Officer and a Gentleman. 
Um, the Richard Gear, lift us up where we belong. The Joe Cocker, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, that that song. And I had a realization while I was listening to this that I always thought that the lyric was instead of love lift us up, God lift us up, because I grew up listening to the God version, and I never. I guess even when I'd heard as an adult, which I didn't really seek out that song, it was always incidental that I had heard it like on the radio or something. <laughs> I just didn't even think about it. I just thought it was, you know, that must be the song that I heard. But I was listening to it and thinking, oh, I didn't realize they changed the lyrics. Oh, they did change the lyrics. Oh, they changed a lot of lyrics. So they cover the song and um, changed a lot of, if you go through it like line by line, they just changed a lot of it to just be more Christian-like. And I, so I looked it up and I didn't realize this, but kind of an interesting uh, little little tidbit is that these two started on the uh, Tammy Faye Baker and Jim Baker PTL hour, the Praise the Lord. They started as like background singers and it was actually Tammy Faye Baker apparently who suggested that they cover this song she heard it on the radio and was like oh maybe you guys could cover this but rewrite the 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 words and uh uh, make it christian and it turned out to be like a huge success so this uh, that song um was originally released in like 1984 on their debut album and they re-recorded it in 1996 and put it on this their greatest hits album and (laughs) it won the fucking dove award so it like got re-released and then it was that song won the Dove Award. Yeah, yeah, one of I won a Dove Award. Yeah, and so my goodness. Yeah, that's why it was on this greatest hits because I was like, what the hell is this cover doing on here? And it just opened up this whole like different world. So, anyways, it was interesting. I actually did listen to it and thought, you know what? I mean, they have great voices. It was actually kind of nice to listen to. It's just, a, I mean, it's a voices. good song. Yeah. So. it is. They didn't write it, but <laughs> but they they did it justice. I will say. Yeah. Uh, so I did, I did like that one, but man, that second CD, I, I, I guess I had another realization that we pr- pretty much only listened <laughs> to the first CD <laughs> in our house because yeah. I don't remember a whole lot about the second CD, but it just careens oh, to a halt. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, man, I'm so glad that I'm so glad to hear you say that. Cause this whole time I'm been, just tied up inside worried oh i hope we don't have to talk about the second cd it's time i tried i tried i it was is unbearable um really bad just when you think it you've seen the worst it gets even worse i mean there's a little bit of gospel there's a little bit it's more just the adult artists i mean if you look at the pictures of the people that are on there they were all a little bit older they're definitely for a different crowd whereas you have um, Jars of Clay, DC Talk, Newsboys on the first one. We didn't talk about the Newsboys yeah. that track. Did you like that track? Uh, yeah. I mean, like comparatively. That was pretty catchy, um, right? Yeah. Yeah. Comparative. Uh, yeah. There's not a lot to love on this one. The Amy, there's an Amy Grant song on here that's a total snoozer, which tells you all you need to know. Stephen Curtis Chapman, the less you know, the better about that song. There's a song on here, uh, <laughs> called, called Breathe on Me. And, uh, Let's just say, not a song you want to sing during a pandemic. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking, yes. It'd be funny if they started uh, like censoring radio songs 
for anything that mentions breath like they did like in during 9-11 they they had censored all those songs like yeah. dying freedom prize <laughs> yeah like you know they censored yeah, like censored songs and just ticket to ride yeah. by the beatles they couldn't play because it like referenced you know being on a plane <laughs> they wouldn't play so they would play like uh you know, every breath you take or <laughs> they just during the pandemic yeah. they but can't remind people they balance it out with the the don't stand so, <laughs> yeah. close to me um <laughs> sting was ringing those alarm bells a long time ago and there's a there's a weird um there's like a hilariously confusing line i really wanted to tell you this that popped out it's called so what is this the song is called like one is more than two or something and one of the lyrics is yeah one of, one two. of two early on we are taught one and one is not a lot that's true, but it's more than two. Less and greater than. They reverse in God's hand. They do. One is more than two. And that just... <laughs> what? <laughs> I what? Tried for, I've been staring at that lyric for a while and just I, like the, the, the math. I, I, I don't know if he's like trolling or I'm just not getting it, but I cannot understand what he's talking about. I mean, can you repeat that one more time? I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. I couldn't follow right, let's it. Take it one. So early on, we're taught one and one is not a lot. Right. Okay. So two okay. isn't a lot. Two. But it's more than two. Let, that's, that's where it loses, where it loses me. Because my mind's going to two. <laughs> and this is telling me, um, it says, uh, less and greater than they reverse. Okay. In God's hand. Okay, so the opposite is true in God. So God makes the opposite true. One is more than two. I'm still lost. Meaning, <laughs> okay. <laughs> meaning that one, so he is one. I guess that's what it is. And that's more than two, which would be like me and you. God is more than one. God is more than two because he's one and he's more than us because we're just... Um, Stupid idiots. Now I'm going to pray in tongues for a moment. I don't make this stuff up. Now I'm going to pray in tongues for a moment. I don't make this stuff up. I wanted to talk a little more about the now 1998. We're just, I'm just abandoning. I had a, a bit of a structure here, history. Let's not even worry about the history. I'm just enjoying talking about this stuff. Let's just, let's just fly by the seat of our pants. But did you have anything else, anything else that you noticed? Like we listened to both this and the now 1998 soundtrack, just to let our audience know we did both kind of go back and forth, which the now, the now 1998 soundtrack, which listeners our age may remember from the uh, commercials was actually the first version that they released in the U.S. The U.S. version it had been, you know, re being released since 1983 in the U.K. And so, coincidentally, they released the first one the same year that this album we're reviewing came out. But the now 1998, did you, I mean, have any epiphanies or any other things you noticed while listening to that one in this and this Wow 1998? Well, let's read the track listing here just so people could kind of put yeah, this into reference. It's 1998, and you're either going to pick up now, that's what I call music, or this copy of WOW, this 33-track, you know, steaming pile of garbage. <laughs> but Or you could reach for now, that's what I call music, track one, Together Again by Janet Jackson, As Long As You Love Me by Backstreet Boys, The Way by Fastball, Flagpole Sitta by Harvey Danger, 
Say You'll Be There by the Spice Girls, All My Life, Casey and Jojo, Never Ever, All Saints, If You Could Only See by Tonic, great song, Umbop by Hanson, <laughs> Zoot Suit Riot by Cherry Pop and Daddies, Shorty by Imogene, uh, Anytime by Brian McKnight, Barbie Girl by Aqua, Karma Police, Radiohead, I Will Buy You a New Life, Everclear, Fly Away, Lenny Kravitz, Sex and Candy, Marcy Playground. That's a lot of a lot of there's, uh, some, heavy, there's some heavy hitters there. Yeah, I mean there there are certain songs on that one that could just never be, you know, like Christian because they're just too unique. Like you said, Barbie Girl, something Karma Police, Flagpole Sitta, Sex and Candy. Some of those songs are just too like singular, you know, and just they have a different kind of a style. Carmen is probably as close as it comes to the Christian equivalent He's, for Aqua. I mean, he definitely is the only one that seems to have any fun. Um, <laughs> everybody else is pretty serious. But I mean, come on, Jesus, <laughs> let's go party! <laughs> hey, oh, oh, <laughs> absolutely! I'm surprised. Oh man, I wonder if he did do something like that. He got into like Euro dance. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, Mission Three Sixteen kind of has that vibe. A little bit of a Euro dance. Yeah. It's like pretty fast. Um actually like listening to some of these where i can say like you know what i do like say you'll be there even though there's like like you said there's nothing to really like believe about that song it's just a nice like song that's catchy i think it actually does kind of almost steal my reserve to just sort of embrace the fact that i do like a song like shine by the newsboys or overjoyed by jars of clay because like interesting um you know i can go back and listen to those songs and and enjoy them and I can go back and listen to these songs and enjoy them too, just because there are, you know, a couple that's always slipped through the cracks, um, despite themselves and despite their best efforts that end up being yeah. good. Well, you know, yeah. And I've said this before to you in the past that like, obviously music is subjective and it's like food. Sometimes, you know, you know, you're eating like a filet mignon. Other times, you know, you're eating like Taco Bell, listening to Umbop by Hanson. And there's a place for right. that. Uh, either way. So try not to be judgmental, except for on this podcast, when we talk about CCM music, which is definitely like the worst of the worst, like, uh, like astronaut food or something. <laughs> like it's only something you eat in space when you have access to no other food. <laughs> like that's the genre. Yeah. So uh, this was part of like, going to be part of the, the biography that we did. Um, but there, so looking this up and the guy that's sort of general, I mean, at least on Wikipedia is credited at Sparrow records from bringing this idea of now records and doing it for Christian artists and sort of tasked with getting reunion and word records on board. Um, Grant yeah. Cunningham, he has a quote mm-hmm. that's kind of interesting in that he sort of basically confirms everything you're saying about like the sort of like where Christian music sits in the pantheon of like music at, at, at large and um, he's had this quote in 2017 kind of talking about the state of Christian music. He still was an A&R guy over at Sparrow Records, had been in the business for a long time. And he says, my desire would be that the music Christian artists create would be among the most original created by the culture at large, not imitative, imitative of anybody. As long as our music is set apart by the beauty of the Lord, the truth of the gospel, or simply tagged Christian, there are many people who will refuse to, refuse to support it. This is all the more reason why our music must rise to a higher standard of creativity, uniqueness, and authenticity. It's only on those terms that we can hope the world might take notice of our art and might find some of the Lord in there. When will this happen? Maybe never. (laughs) Yeah, maybe never, Kelly, because Christian music is never going to have an artist write wet-ass pussy 
if right. they're not going to let like Derek Webb of Cademan's Call say the word shit in a song, you know, like um, it's just it's so not restrictive. I mean, you get what I'm saying. That's an extreme example. But, um, you know, like creative and groundbreaking work comes from challenging those boundaries, perceptions, and it's not, not just the music. It, right. Right. If like if you're not, you know, it, it extends to other issues beyond the music, whether it's, um, you know, um, whether it's it, it, like he was also like um, I got a lot of flack for responding or talking about the AIDS crisis. Right. If you're talking about like um, marriage, um, same sex marriage, other issues, other people that have gone on plat- uh, like out in a limb talking about these things, if you're not going to allow for like those conversations to happen, um, how are artists like supposed to feel like uh, they have any sort of like creative license or liberty or the ability to like express themselves. And that's going to be a, it's going to be reflected in the music. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely not going to seep to the top of like, and be pop music. I mean, pop music is exists at a very, you know, like very safe sort of certain level. And a lot of, you know, I think in the nineties, I guess we still see it a lot too now with you know people with internet artists and and a lot of the recording shifting to home you see a lot more creativity because people are sort of unbounded um and those sort of like once in a while will sort of seep through the cracks and you get you know interesting music um in the pop pop realm especially even just like with um with a lot of uh current rap music and in the 90s you know you see those like weird um outliers that kind of get put in the mix like a sex and candy um where the major label artists or major labels were starting to just sort of throw so much money that it encapsulated a lot of different genres and weird sort of songs. And, and so that they would see some, you know, creative songs, you know, put, get pushed through here and there. I don't really see that happening with popular Christian music, just because of exactly what you just described with Cademan's call, because they're, until they can get rid of those boundaries, they're just, why would anybody feel the need to explore beyond it? It's immediately, right. you know, you're immediately unsuccessful. Yeah. And so there's this theory of pop music by this guy, um, this this person, Guy Zapolian, and he has this theory um, called the, the doldrums of um, like how pop music is, how it works. It's on a cycle, right? And you have this period of time when something new comes in and disrupts whatever is popular at the moment, right? You go through this period and the, uh, what he uses as an illustration is the, uh, like the, you know, Britney Spears, like the, and the whole boy band, like NSYNC and um, uh, Backstreet Boys rather, right? And you have like that first wave. So Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears coming on the scene. The second wave is the people that come after that do the same thing that was already done that are milking that cow, right? So that's like your Christina Aguilera's, your, you know, your instincts as opposed Boat to your Backstreet Boys and like all the other boy bands that came after that. Yeah, 98 degrees. Um, and then what happens is, this is very important, you enter a period called like the doldrums where you're milking that cow so much that everything gets stale and repetitive, whether it's like the like that whole era of boy band music and pop music there or whether it's Crunch. like- you know, in in the eighties, even like, yeah, grunge or whether it's in the eighties, um, you know, with how like bloated, uh, like progressive rock and classic rock kind of got and dominated the airwaves. And in this case, 
it creates an opportunity for someone to come in and disrupt it. So in the boy band era, like Britney Spears and that pop that era that existed then, who came in like Eminem, Limp Biscuit, like people that weren't traditionally artists that would fit within the pop context, but because they were the alternative at that time, it created an opportunity where there was much more than what would be like the, the niche market that might normally like be turned on to something like that because there's that much of an appetite and it, and then it resets, right? Um, and it continues, but that doesn't happen in Christian music as far as I can understand and my limited knowledge of it, because I don't, I don't, I think it is all doldrums. Um, there, there isn't that dynamic is, you know, that I see at least in what we've covered. Right. Um, well, like, and, and we're talking about mainstream Christian music too. I know like, especially in the 2000s, mainstream. there's a lot of stuff out there, right? Yeah, Obviously. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't really know much about other than, you know, there are some like once Christian, uh, metal bands started popping up in the 2000s. I know that right. there's a lot of respected Christian metal bands that, you know, oh. um, pushed boundaries a bit. Oh yeah. And I should say there are a ton. I'm, I'm speaking from a place of very little knowledge about it. I think just relative to what, um, you know, just in general is the genre. Well, you know what, you know what? Right? I, and there are people that push boundaries, but in general as a genre, that's probably the case. I think right? you're right. I mean, I know, I know specifically, like if we're talking about like Christian, because you have to have a big appetite to like for somebody to break through, which means there has to be a lot of people that are like not. And why you know, yet? And why would it change at this point? It's hard to see it, right? If it's gone this long, I feel like I, I feel the same way every time. If I were to go back to Rockford and put on the, the like current rock station, um, I wouldn't hear, you know, the current like the rock that's up for you know awards at the Grammys or something. You know, the late anything that you would traditionally think of like this is the current rock bands like Imagine Dragons. I'd hear all these bands that sounded like they were like weird sort of posts like almost like like seether kinds of bands that are still making music and still putting out records and they're just stuck in this strange like time like sealed in time um and i think it just will always kind of be like that and that's kind of where christian pop sounds like if you turn on a christian i mean as far as i know like granted i haven't listened to the christian rock uh radio in a long time but or christian pop radio but every time i have in the recent past it sounded like you know, any, anywhere in the two or two thousands or, um, even some late nineties stuff like that we're hearing on here. It doesn't sound that different and before we do wrap it up. I do want, again, thanks everybody for the support last year. Um, we're going to be back in business here going forward. We got some good, uh, plans for 2022 already, and we're really excited to, um, record some more podcasts, get some more guests and talk about some more Christian rock. And it's really fun for us. Um, and if you haven't yet, and you're this far into the episode, uh, consider following us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find all the links at our website at www.makingmyfriendlistentochristianrock.com. So to wrap it up here, John, uh, we have to do our obligatory rating on a scale of I'd listen to the album again. I'd put a song on a playlist. I'd listen to the album again, maybe in a couple of years, or I never want to hear a single note of this album ever again. Put that Carmen song on again. I, I, I don't know when. I don't know when or what the circumstances will be, but I can guarantee I will play that song again. So Carmen, Carmen's the life. He, he's the he's the lifesaver here. He's the. Uh, He's the one that saves us from being completely uh, never want to hear a note again. 
Yeah, you know, I, or actually, you know what? I might listen to that Hope to Carry On song. Um, not that I really like that song, uh, but I feel like the the most recent time I kind of listened to it, I think I was kind of um, like, there's some good melodies in there. And I think it's, uh, you know, I want to go back and like maybe give them a little taste of that. Yeah, that's good. I mean, we're still talking about 30 songs here and uh, that's really not a great ratio. I, I I have to say the same. I mean, just for myself, it's 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 always hard to tear these apart from my from my memories. But I do really like that Jars of Clay song. I like the Newsboys song. Um, probably would just maybe listen to those albums if I was feeling it. But there are a couple of other ones here that aren't too bad. Um, but I'm saying, give me a nice couple years until I forget what these songs sound like, and then I'll then I'll check them out again. I will say, I'm very excited for you to get a little taste of some of these artists to come because uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of them quite more in depth in episodes this year. 